Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back into the Bama B Podcast. Wickles Pickles, this is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. Brett, how are you doing this morning, brother? Well, I didn't go into my first game at a new school as a 10-point favorite and lose by 11, so I guess I'm doing better than Mel Tucker. Rutgers, man. Rutgers. They get you. Once every, like, five years, they get you, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Schiano, next head coach at Tennessee. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Say what? Again. Again, yeah, for for the second time. We'll see if we'll – we may or may not put a stop to it the second to go around. I don't know. We might let it go through. Who uh, knows, man? Yeah. Vol Twitter. Vol Twitter will not let it happen again. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, they already did it once. Who's to say they won't do it again? See what happens when you come together as a group, as one, on one common agenda. The things that you can accomplish is simply incredible. But what the Vols were not able to accomplish was a victory over Alabama on Saturday. Mm-hmm. So... Brett, hit me with uh, some of those initial thoughts that you had from the game. So uh, Cecil called me on his way out of Neyland Stadium Saturday, and and we were talking about workflow and other stuff that would bore you. But then, bore the listener, I should say. But then um, he said, well, what'd you think of the game? And I was like, I'm going to be honest with you, Cecil. It's kind of hard to, to really analyze another Alabama beat down of Tennessee, you know, like it's, they all just kind of run together at Mm -hmm. some point. And it's kind of, it's kind of hard to separate one from the other at a certain point. Like there was uh, something pretty newsworthy happened on the first, on the opening kickoff. And we'll, we'll get to that momentarily, but in the game as a whole, like Bama just outclassed Tennessee again, they've done it every year. For almost a decade now, and of the 14 in a row, them have been just sheer, pure outclassings. Like Alabama averaged 7.7 yards per play compared to 4.8 from Tennessee. Um, On third down, Bama converted 7 of 12. Tennessee converted 4 of 16. Yikes. was 7 in the. Um, I just don't know. Like they, they just outclassed Tennessee in every way, shape and form. And it, it, these things just kind of run together in terms of which game was which at this point, except, I mean, the injuries kind of help you separate because you, you remember those games for more than just the result, but the result being what it is, it's just another episode of Alabama kicking Tennessee's teeth in, which happened last year and probably will happen next year, and possibly the year after that. Jarrett Garantano uh, threw two touchdown passes. Mac Jones didn't throw any. Is Jarrett Garantano the better quarterback? I think Jarrett Garantano is probably your Heisman favorite right now. 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, <laughs> is it not wild that Mac Jones threw for close to 400 yards through the air on 31 attempts and he didn't throw a single touchdown pass. Now granted Najee Harris, the touchdown vulture that he is, uh, that, that has a little bit of something to do with it, but it's still wild to me to see those stats, you know, 387 yards and zero passing touchdowns. What'd you make of that? I'm, I'm doing the, uh, the play index search right now as to how many times that has happened. So 387 or more yards, but no passing touchdowns since 2000 from right now. The results are, wow, a lot more than I, I thought. It's 14 times since 2000. Um, it's happened, I'm trying to find a good cutoff here. It's happened three times since the start of the 2016 season, but it's happened 14 times since really since 2002 uh, that that surprises me i thought this would have happened less frequently now i will say of the 14 the the team is 3 and 11 so so mac is a very rare case of a quarterback who throws for at least 387 yards with no touchdowns and still wins there there's something to be said for that um less than one per year i mean that's it's still kind that's of rare. rare that's uh, true. i guess i just expected it to be more yeah i did too but I, yeah the more you look it at happened, it it's like okay it's it happened once in each of the last three seasons wilton spate did it for ucla in 2018 brady white did it for memphis last year he threw for 454 yards for memphis against penn state but didn't throw a touchdown pass um wilton spate threw for 466 against Stanford didn't throw a touchdown pass and then Mac threw for 387 against Tennessee and didn't throw a a touchdown pass yeah I mean I guess since there's like literally hundreds of of college football games in a in a season even in one altered by the pandemic um, having it happen only once per season over the last three seasons and a little less than once per season over a two decade span I guess that's that's pretty rare I just expected it to be more rare than that I suppose yeah, and, and putting it like that, that's a good point. You know, you're talking however many uh, Division One college football games in a season. When you're talking every seven in this weird season, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Uh, but at the same time, he played fantastic. It's not a reflection at all of the way that he played. Uh, he was very efficient. Twenty-five of thirty-one, uh, averaged I think eleven point six yards per attempt, or. I, I, I don't know what the exact numbers were, but I know that he continued to put up fantastic numbers. Just anytime they got in the, you know, on the goal line, they were handing it to Najee Harris and he was scoring touchdowns. So there was no reason to, to, for Mac Jones to be throwing it uh, in those situations. And there was a couple of near ones, you know, that John Mechie catch between those two defenders that came fairly close. If I'm not mistaken, I don't remember what yard line they ended up on, but it was pretty close to being a touchdown if I'm not mistaken. But um, you know, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Alabama totally dominated Tennessee, you know, from a yardage standpoint, they almost doubled Tennessee's output. They held on to the ball for almost 10 minutes longer. First downs, 30 first downs to only 16 for Tennessee. Alabama's third down defense was, was the best that I've seen. Now the fourth down efficiency, they went for it twice. Tennessee did. They converted two of those, but four of 16 on third downs is 25%. That's much lower than roughly the 50% or whatever that they had been allowing 
through the first, um, you know, four games of the season. So that was good to see. Uh, defense, and we, we kind of expected it. This was nothing that was overly surprising uh, as far as the performance, but the defense was, it was the most complete team that Alabama's had this year, you know, in all facets of the game. Uh, well, I wouldn't say all facets, but, you know, at least offensively and defensively, and the special teams do, to some degree, if you're talking about Will Reichard, continuing to be just an absolute stud. Good go, uh, Will Reichard. Say what? What'd you say? Go, Will Reichard. The GOAT, Will Reichard. Yeah. uh, This was by far collectively the best output that Alabama has had. Uh, They were efficient as far as through the air, on the ground. Uh, The offensive line was rock solid. Defensive line played well. Linebackers found the football. Still, you know, a couple issues as far as run fits, uh, you know, going against – uh, the opposing team's run game, but overall very efficient, effective performance. Now, this doesn't mean that Alabama's ter- turned some massive corner and they're, you know, back to being an elite defense. It's just, you know, with Georgia in the second half against their offense and the limitations that they had against this Tennessee offense with the limitations that they have. And Jerry Garantano did hit a couple of big plays deep. Uh, you know, that Hyatt kid, that true freshman, mm-hmm. had a couple of really good plays. And that Josh Palmer, I want to say it was like a 24-yard touchdown to the back of the end zone that was put perfectly by Garantano. Uh, they had a couple of, of solid, explosive plays downfield, but it just wasn't nearly enough to, to, to make any sort of difference in this game. I'm glad you put it that way about the defense and not believing that they've turned a corner of some kind to be a, a great defense. I want, to, I want to talk about that in a second. But first, on the subject of, of Najee Harris, the touchdown poacher, even though he kind of got poached of one in, in this game, um, Najee's scoring three touchdowns, th- rushing touchdowns to be more specific, since he does a lot the other way too. Uh, three rushing touchdowns in this game puts him up to 14 for the season and 34 for his career. Looking at the Alabama record book, uh, there's a three-way tie for eighth with 15 rushing touchdowns. Uh, and Sean Alexander is third in school history with 19. And Harris is at 14 with, what, five games left in the regular season? So I don't know that he's going to get all the way up to 28 to where Derrick Henry set the record in, in 2015. But Najee Harris is on a trajectory to get up in the top five, if not possibly a little bit higher in in Alabama history in terms of single season rushing touchdowns. And he's basically already there with career rushing touchdowns. He's got 34 now, which ties him for sixth in school history with Johnny Musso. His next one will tie him for fifth um, with 35 touchdowns with Trent Richardson. TJ Yeldon is in fourth with 37, and Sean Alexander is in third with 41. So with five regular season games left, plus at least one more, because it seems like an almost guarantee that Bama's going to make the SEC championship game this year, uh, take that into consideration. So with more or less six games left in minimum in the season, Najee is seven touchdowns away from reaching tied for third in school history and career rushing touchdowns. So that seems, uh, assuming health, knock on wood, that that seems like it's almost a, a guarantee. So Najee's ability to poach touchdowns has has gotten him into some historic company well, in Alabama history. Well, uh, you know, as of right now, he's on pace to tie that record uh, that, that um, Derrick Henry set in 2015 in 10 games. You know, if he's got 14 and 5, 
you know, granted to, to keep up this sort of pace is probably unrealistic. Um, I, but I would say that if Alabama plays in the SEC championship game, they make it to the college football playoff. They make it to a national championship. You could add up to that you would at least have two more because you you would think the the SEC championship with the way things are heading, not a guarantee by any means, but if that ends up happening, you're adding two more because you're you're definitely going to be going to a bowl game. I mean, as of right now, everybody's bowl el- eligible. Now, some of these bowl games are, are saying they're not going to play this year, and that should affect things, but Alabama will be just fine as far as a team seeking them out to play in a bowl game. So, so we have one more. Go ahead. We have posts on tiesports.com that update Najee's climb up the uh, up the school record list for career touchdowns, for single season touchdowns, and for uh, career rushing yards. All that is on tiesports.com. Whenever he passes someone or ties someone or gets close to someone, I try to update it and tweet out the link during the game. So follow me on Twitter at Brett underscore Hudson or just check tiesports.com during games uh, in theory when he when he does something it'll be it'll be up there I want to transition to the defensive performance because when you take into account the last two games and well really the second half against Georgia and the entire game against Tennessee um, there seems to be a narrative forming about this defense turning a corner about this defense kind of figuring itself out and becoming uh, if not already, eventually becoming the unit that fans want it to be. And I, I'm getting that from the questions people just ask me walking around in, in daily life and also from radio hits I do. When I go on radio stations, I've done Nashville and Dothan this week so far. We'll, we'll see. But both, both of those uh, radio hits kind of ask similar questions in that kind of talking about the defense like has it turned a corner are its most recent performances indicative of what it's going to be in the in the future and I kind of I, I expressed some skepticism about that but it sounds like you're also skeptical of this defense being what it has been the last six quarters for the entire season so I'll let you kind of run through why you think that's the case well number one I just think that things were set up nicely for Alabama you know that the styles of offenses that they've played haven't been overly difficult to defend. You know, Alabama can kind of hit you in the mouth once. They can, you know, as far as their front seven and 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 the 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 effectiveness of their play, it it just going against an offense like Tennessee's or an offense even like Georgia's. You know, you're talking about good offensive lines with both. You're talking about a good stable of running backs with both. But they're very much one-dimensional, and they they have their quarterbacks have to be able to establish not just a run game, but an, a very effective run game in order to be effective themselves. And and neither team was really able to do that. Now, it's like I said, um, Jared Garantano hit a couple of deep passes, took a couple of shots downfield, and was able to connect, uh, which certainly helps statistically. You know, outside of just a couple of uh, kind of just uh, mental lapses and, and, you know, there was sometimes Alabama was in good position and just couldn't make the play. Um, that throw, like I said, from Jarrett Garen Palmer was a fantastic throw. Not a ton you could have done there. Um, 
you know, Patrick Sertan, you know, you're not going to see him get beat too often, but it's just, it's creating this situation where a lot of people are starting to relax, relax with Alabama's defense. But when you look at it, or at least when I went back and looked, I thought this was their worst performance as far as putting consistent pressure on the quarterback. And they haven't been great about it all year, uh, but this was the worst performance. They didn't have a sack in the game. Um, you know, they didn't have too many quarterback hurries. Uh, in fact, I think their only pressure of the night as far as hurries are concerned uh, was from Brian Branch. So their defensive line in in that aspect didn't really do a whole lot. Their edge players, Will Anderson, um, you know, uh, Christopher you just didn't see that level of impact from them, but they're getting their hands in passing lanes. That's fantastic. Uh, they continue to do that. They've done it the last couple of weeks. That was huge against Georgia. It was pretty big uh, against Tennessee in a cup on a couple of occasions. But I just I'm not. I need to see the the, the next step being taken against one of those elite styled offenses. And one thing that we're going to see, you know, we got Mississippi State this weekend. Uh, as far as that game, that's going to be interesting. Uh, but you know the, the Mississippi State offense has not been great this year ever since that first week one uh, performance uh, against LSU. But then after that, you got a bye week, and then you got LSU. LSU to me will be the tall tale sign. Um, that, that's an offense that's really starting to turn the corner. I thought they were going to struggle without Miles Brennan uh, because I thought Miles Brennan heading into this year, uh, and and for that week one, he didn't play that great, but he's continuing to get better and to continue to get more comfortable. And I think with the weapons that they have, Terrace uh, Marshall, Eric Gilbert, um, they have options in the passing game that could be a problem for Alabama. So if Alabama stops that offense, I'll really be you know on board with this whole they're starting to turn, turn a corner. I just don't think that they're there yet based statistically off of playing a good half against a very limited Georgia offense and in, and an entire game against a very limited Tennessee offense. I think we're of pretty similar opinions there. I think it's more, I think the last six quarters of defense have been a lot about what they've been facing more than what they've, they've done themselves. The consideration, the lack of pass rush point you made against Tennessee, which was absolutely true. Jared Garantano tested Alabama deep a lot of times now because he isn't an elite quarterback and because Tennessee doesn't have the, the great wide receiver, which we just uh, discussed in the preview podcast. They weren't able to connect on a lot of those deep passes and make Bama pay for them. Um, but he had the time to to wait for receivers to get downfield and and make a throw, which is the, the point here. I don't know that Georgia and Tennessee are really structured offensively to test Alabama in the ways that the teams that matter do. Like everything about – Alabama goes back to a national championship context. And when you're talking in that context, you're pretty much exclusively talking about Clemson and Ohio State, or or always including them. Sometimes you include others, uh, Oklahoma, when they have it going. But for the most part, you're talking about Clemson and Ohio State. And Georgia and Tennessee schematically do not challenge other opposing defenses the way that Clemson's offense and Ohio State's offense do. Now, both teams kind of introduced a little bit of the situational tempo that that Ole Miss uh, just gashed Alabama on. So that was that kind of led credence to my theory that that kind of thing is very easy to install in one week, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Bama saw that go forward. The 
those two games kind of proved that to be accurate. Um, but I, I just don't think those two offenses are designed to attack Alabama's weaknesses the way uh, the important teams are, are going to, like LSU and Auburn and, uh, to a lesser extent, Mississippi State this week. And then, obviously, most importantly, Clemson, Ohio State, and and other playoff-caliber teams, I guess, Oregon, um, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. I just don't know that you can really judge what Alabama – does defensively against Georgia and Tennessee in that right context because they're it's it's like it's almost like they're playing two different sports really when when you're defending offenses like Georgia's and Tennessee's and you're defending offenses like Ole Miss's and Clemson's and Ohio State's it's almost like you're playing different sports yeah that I think that's a great way to put it um and, and it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily like down on Alabama's defense. You know, they've done what they needed the job done and they've looked good doing it. Um, You can't really blame them for the offenses that they've gone against. I just think that we should take a step back and say, okay, they've, they've showed some promise. Guys have gotten very valuable reps. Hopefully by the time the LSUs of the world roll around here in a couple of weeks, Will Anderson Jr. continues to develop. He's more comfortable. He starts to play better. He starts to finish better. Uh, you're talking about some of these other guys as far as the rotation. Uh, we saw a little bit of more of Jamil Burrows, uh, and, and you know we, we continue to see Tim Smith. He racked up a few tackles against the Vols. Um, so we're starting to get a lot of these young guys involved. Byron Young played his best game, in my opinion, uh, as a, a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide, so that was fantastic to see. It's just there's still some question marks, and and it, really, one of the, the the big revelations of this uh, defense, in my opinion, and someone that's going to be extremely important moving forward has been Malachi Moore. Uh, you know his play and what he's been able to do as far as creating turnovers, you know scoring touchdowns, um, and it's not just the big play moments. He's being fairly consistent as far as you know his ability to tackle his ability in coverage uh, run support uh, you know coming on blitzes he's been a very complete player for Alabama and it's kind of something that I feel like Alabama's defense in the secondary has lacked uh, the last couple of years since Patrick moved on to the NFL is that versatile piece who can do a lot of different things for you you know I don't think that Malachi Moore necessarily would would you know bode well as far as being an outside corner necessarily, but I think he can play safety, he can play the the star, he can play the money. You can send him on blitzes, you can rely on him and run support uh, in coverage. He's going to be effective enough, and he's creating turnovers, big play turnovers. That was a huge turning point for Alabama when he was able to force that fumble, pick it up, and then run it in for a score. That was absolutely big for the momentum and, and kind of just establishing you know things moving uh, moving forward. So. Great, fantastic performance from him. The defense, all they really could have asked uh, or, or anyone could have asked of the defense. So now it's just a matter of continuing to get better. Mississippi State, you know, I just I keep wondering when it's going to happen for Mississippi State. Uh, it's just you're talking about Mike Leach. He was brought in there for a reason. You know, nice, solid week one performance. Completely fallen apart since then. Has not been very effective at all. That I just – does this – it's just this – is this the new norm? You know, this is what we should expect from Mississippi State from now until the end of time is that you've got a, a very offensive minded, creative 
uh, head coach and you're just not going to be able to do anything offensively? Or do we eventually expect something to change and for something to happen and Mississippi State to bounce back and start figuring things out again offensively? And that's what I I wonder. I think that moment's coming. I don't think they're going to become this juggernaut team like we were starting to believe or people were saying if you know after week one. But I think that they bounce back and become a very effective offense at some point and if that happens this weekend they could potentially cause Alabama some trouble uh it's just a matter of is that coming this weekend I couldn't really tell you and that's what makes it's going to make this game extremely difficult to pick and we'll talk more about that in a later podcast but for now um you know the the defense like I said they're doing everything you could possibly ask of them uh you know you'd like to be a little bit more as far as the pass rush but it, it was you know the game plan's working and I, what I will give Pete Golden credit for is that he understands that he's not generating a ton of pressure with his defensive line and his outside linebackers. So he's bringing a lot of guys, you know, corners and, and, and off ball, you know, got guys in the secondary off ball blitzes from linebackers. He's doing a lot of things trying to get creative to create pressure. And I'll give him credit for that. At some point they got to get home though. Like, yes. In- I agree. I agree with Saban that sacks are not the only way to evaluate a pass rush, but even in those other methods of evaluating the pass rush, Alabama's is not up to par at the moment. No, it is not agreed. So yeah. let's let's move on to um, the the biggest. I don't know if it's the biggest, but it's one of the biggest talking points with this team right now, which is the the post Jalen Waddle. Era Waddle is is out most likely for the season with an ankle injury. Um, he will almost certainly become a very 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 rich man in six or seven months or so. Um, what does Alabama do from here? That's another question that I'm I'm getting a lot on radio appearances and and just from the the common man. convinced that Alabama doesn't have to change its offense all that much if it doesn't want to because Slade Bolden is a very athletic guy and I'm going to have a story on him on tidesports.com first thing Wednesday morning Um, so so that'll be that'll be up shortly I think I, I think they can do all the things they used to do with Waddle with with Slade the the only thing that it's kind of in the back of my mind is I wonder if Alabama is going to use Najee Harris as a receiver just a little bit more, like just an extra catch or two here or there to compensate for touches that otherwise would have gone to, to Waddle because he had a career high six receptions against Tennessee, which is kind of wild to think about, right? That he, he set the school record for single season receiving touchdowns by a running back last year. And he never had more than five catches in a game, but he had six against Tennessee. I think most of those were just dump offs. Most of those were just him getting the ball out of his hand because he he needed to. Uh, and Najee was the was the dump off guy. But I, I do wonder if if they may turn to Najee as a pass catcher just a little bit more to compensate for it. I don't think they have to, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. That yeah, and and that's something that uh, I certainly think is a possibility. Um, and and this is kind of how I've broken things down for people that have asked me that question. And I'll kind of go through it just so our listeners kind of have it in front of them too. 
this is the way I, I sort of view it. What, what are you trying to, from a receiving standpoint, from an offensive standpoint, not a, not a kick return or a punt return, uh, not from those aspects, but strictly as a wide receiver, what are you trying to replace with Jalen Waddle? Well, first of all, he didn't even play against Tennessee, and he's still leading the team in receiving yards, and he is still tied for the, the lead as far as touchdown receptions. So, you know, that's that's first and foremost. But so essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to replace – a number one wide receiver, or, you know, you could possibly view Waddle and Devontae Smith as a 1A and 1B option. What I think you can do, because Devontae Smith has proven that he could be a very effective top option, is I think he can move more into that true wide receiver one role. Then you would be looking for a wide receiver two. The thing about it is, is John Mechie has kind of proven that he could potentially be a 1B in this offense, or at the very least, a very effective wide receiver too. Against Tennessee, without uh, Jalen Waddle in the mix, Mechie goes seven catches, 151 yards. He averaged over 20 yards per reception, had the big catch between two defenders uh, on the season, 21 catches for 499 yards and three scores. He's averaging the most yards per catch of anybody on the team with 23.76 yards per catch. So I think that, you know, as far as that, it, I think one of two things happens. Either Devontae Smith becomes the, the, the primary number one option instead of being a 1A, 1B with Waddle, or you continue to have a 1A, 1B with, with Devontae Smith and John Mechie with those two guys eating up or, or getting some of the targets that were going to Jalen Waddle. So that's one aspect as far as you know where guys are in the pecking order. But you got to look specifically at what Jalen Waddle did. A, he was doing a lot of his work as a slot man. A lot of his production was coming from the slot. Slade Bolden stepped up in his absence, six catches for 94 yards against Tennessee. He's not going to be the explosive playmaker out of the slot that a guy like Jalen Waddle is. That's that's fact. Uh, that's unfortunate that, that Alabama's losing that dynamic, but what Slade Bolden can be is a very uh, reliable option for Mac Jones. And Mac Jones and Slade Bolden, through their time on the practice squad over the last several years, they have chemistry. And you know that. He for almost 100 yards with six catches. Um, but, you know, it's not just the slot that, that Jalen Waddle brings to the table. It's the motions. It's the lining up in the backfield. You know, people that remember, you know, first of all, you got the Slade cat. So it's not like Slade's completely oblivious to lining up in the backfield. But also coming out of high school, Slade Bolden was listed as an athlete. And there were people that were thinking he was going to be an all-purpose running back, ends up at receiver for Alabama. But he's comfortable lining up in the backfield. So you can do some of those things if you want to with Slade. Uh, but I just I don't think Steve Sarkeesian is going to be calling as much of that because I think that was just – specific for Jalen Waddle and scripting ways to get him the football. But if you need him to, uh, you can continue to do some of those things. So that, as far as the the, re, the production that needs to be replaced in the slot, I'm not saying that, that Slade Bolden's going to be J, uh, Jalen Waddle, but what I am slay, saying is that they still have an effective slot option in Slade Bolden. But by moving Mechie to that wide receiver one or wide receiver two role, um, you know, everybody else, you know, now you don't have that necessarily elite guy in the wide receiver three spot. We've talked about Slade Bolden. He's still going to be an effective option, but there's going to be some drop off there. But then Bolden was your wide receiver four. He was getting wide receiver four reps as they were moving some other guys around. It wasn't a whole lot, but you got to start to wonder 
who's going to step into that number four role? Who's going to see those rotational reps? Who's going to be a guy if one of the receivers gets banged up? You know, Mechie ended up on a stationary bike. He was kind of, I don't know what he was dealing with. Um, I don't know if we ever got word. I think he's fine, but he was, you know, people thought that he was a little bit banged up. So who's the next man up as far as that goes? A lot of talk about Javon Baker, you know, true freshman, former four-star coming out of high school. A lot of talk about him in fall camp. That would be the guy that I would assume right now. You still have Xavier Williams. You still have uh, Treshawn Holden, Tyu Jones-Bell, a trio of guys, three true freshmen. Xavier Williams is a redshirt sophomore. They'll all be involved as far as being in, in the competition for those number four wide receiver reps as limited as they are. But we'll kind of have to see. So I don't think Alabama's in bad shape uh, necessarily. Uh, you know, I, and I think by the, the way that I've structured my answer when people ask me this, I think has made it seem like, oh, well, I think Alabama's going to be just as good as they were and completely well off. And I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying by through a combination of people and to filling the voids that are being left behind by Jalen Waddle, I think you can achieve a lot of what you lost. But what you are losing is a depth, uh, huge depth as far as you, because now everybody's moving up the depth chart. But B, you're losing one of, if not the most expensive uh, players in college football. And there are going to be key plays and key moments that Jalen Waddle maybe makes the, the I doesn't. And I can't tell you when that's going to happen. It'll all be speculative. There's no way that we could ever say, you know, people will point to certain plays and say Jalen Waddle would have made that play. And that could potentially at some point cost Alabama a game. I don't know. But this whole idea that Alabama, you know, I think uh, David Pollock I saw yesterday where he was talking about, you know, he's, he's pretty much taking Alabama out of the mix. He thinks it's over for him because of this loss. I'm not even close to being at that point. No, I agree. I, th- I think Alabama has all the tools required to be the explosive offense that they that they have been all season long. I mean, they they have thrown for 417 yards in three straight games now, 417 on the nose. So I, I think they can they can still be that going forward. Um, I do. What's the right way to phrase this? I do wonder screw it i'll just say it like do you think xavier williams is kind of being lost in the shuffle here like when the depth at the wide receiver position is discussed and saban's talking about next person to step up and and be ready in the event someone else gets injured or someone has to step in for a quarter or a half for whatever reason it's almost always the freshmen that are mentioned, primarily Javon Baker over Tyu Jones-Bell and Treshawn Holden. Xavier Williams is like the forgotten man, and maybe that ends up working to his favor. He he comes out of nowhere and and, and ends up being a guy, but it, it seems like Xavier Williams is the forgotten man right now. Yeah, and, and to, to me, the way that I viewed it, and, and this is the problem, Granted, we, we only get to see so much when we're actually able to go to the practices every day and, and do a lot of that stuff. And I'm not going to Tuscaloosa and, and seeing the very limited that maybe we normally would. Um, but it, it, it's just it's a lot more. The information that we're given is a lot more, you know, secondhand information than firsthand information. Yeah. And so with with that, you know, you hear a lot of good things about Javon Baker in fall camp. And I compare it, you know, the way that I've compared it to people who have asked about Javon Baker and and, and such is last year we saw in the Alabama 8A game 
that John Mechie was a guy who probably was prepared to contribute a lot more than he actually ended up doing. He was the 8A MVP, had like five catches, had like 100 and something yards, like well over 100 yards, very effective in that first ever 8A game. But then you start to look and you see Jalen Waddell and you see Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith and, and Jerry Judy and Slade Bolden. And all these guys, and it's like there's just not many opportunities for him, despite the fact that he's probably ready to contribute, to actually get on the field. Well, with Javon Baker and the good things that we heard about him, and and I don't know, you know, we I, we were actually able to get our eyes on John Mechie, so we knew that there was some potential there. Yeah. We're just hearing reports about Javon Baker, so I don't know, you know, maybe he gets out there and you know he does not look ready or whatever, but. We've heard Nick Saban mention him a couple of times, and he had a little bit of a head start due to, you know, uh, I think some of the other guys were banged up or something. I don't remember what the situation was, but, you know, he was he had a little bit of a head start on some people, mm-hmm. and he took advantage of his opportunities. And but I, you know, I was looking at him in the same way that I was Mechie last year. Was like this is a guy who probably for a lot of teams would be ready to contribute offensively in some capacity, but just you know, even though Alabama lost Rugs and Judy. They still got all these other guys, and so there's just not going to be the opportunity for him to get on the field. So now you look at losing Jalen Waddle, and you say, okay, now the opportunities are going to be there. They're going to be limited. He's not going to be asked to, to, to play any sort of significant role, but if he was as they say that he was, not that I know that he is, uh, I'll continue to reiterate that because there's still this unknown factor, then he, he should be able to still be an effective option working in those very few reps and it could be absolutely crucial for him because of what Alabama with Jalen Waddle with Devonte Smith, you lost Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs last year, a lot of turnover at the receiver position in the last couple of years. They need somebody to be ready. And, and if Jalen Waddle and Devonte Smith, your two top guys and you know, Jalen Waddle doesn't get hurt. You're going into the next year with completely new guys, essentially. And they've recruited that position extremely the 2021 recruiting uh, class, but they could use more guys than just Baker. So I think it'll be limited experience. I think he'll get some crucial reps this year. Maybe start to get some confidence and prove that he can make some big catches. That's if he wins that wide receiver four role. And your point is that Xavier Williams seems to be the the guy that nobody's talking about, and that's a very good point because I've seen a guy, a guy who has consistently gotten better. And, and that's key when you're on a, a positive progression as far as your development, as long as it's continuing to head in the right direction, you should eventually be able to work your way into some sort of role. And Xavier Williams might be able to take advantage of this opportunity. Um, and that's why I've continued to reiterate Javon Baker is the number one guy that I, everybody automatically goes to because of things that we heard about him in preseason camp, but it is still much a, very much a, an open competition for that fourth spot, and it's, you know, I, I would probably say that Baker's the leading, but by no means does he have it locked up. I guess we need to hit on a somewhat big recruiting note before we get out of here. Yeah. Man, I, I want to say, did, did Alabama land some pretty good commitment or something? Uh, You know, I, it was weird. On, on Sunday afternoon, there were all these Kool-Aid band gifts in my timeline, and I don't know, I don't really... I, don't I thought really know Kool-Aid what the, had released a new flavor. Are what do sure you think the new flavor is? Do we know? Crimson. <laughs> <laughs> what would crimson taste like exactly? Is that like a Winning? tiger's blood stone? 
Tastes like winning. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Tastes like the gasoline you put in a Dodge Charger, maybe. Um, <laughs> DeQuincy oh. McKinstry, a five-star cornerback from, from Pinson Valley High School in the Birmingham area, committed to the University of Alabama over LSU and Auburn. He was probably the biggest piece of Alabama's recruiting class that was left out there hanging in the balance. Um, he was, he's one, he's the best corner in this class. That's undeniable. And, and corner is probably the one position of need that Alabama hadn't fully answered before Jaquincy McKinstry committed it. And by the way, he's going to play basketball too, or at least he, he says he is. So you're, you're getting McKinstry from August through in theory, March. Um, so, so good for, Good for Bama fans on on that one, getting him in two different sports. But um, uh, to get back to the the need that McKinstry fills, they, they have Kyrie Jackson at, at corner, who's one of the top JUCO prospects in the nation. They have Devontae Smith, not the wide receiver, the three-star cornerback out of Ohio, committed to Bama in the 2021 recruiting class. Um, all of that is is fine and good, but it's not the top flight high school talent that you would like to add at that position at least once every recruiting class. And, and Jaquincy McKinstry absolutely um, satisfies that. And if you look at all the other positions of need, Bama's pretty much filled them all now. Their, their wide receiver group is set. Offensive and defensive line are set. Uh, although they could add more on the defensive line in between now and signing day wouldn't surprise me if they got uh, one more in there. Tunmis Adelaide, the former Ohio State commit, is is a name I'm looking at there. Um, their linebacker positions are, are pretty good. They have a quarterback. They flipped a Texas commit there. They don't need a running back in this class after signing three uh, in the previous one. Um, they signed a tight end because uh, I don't know what Alabama would do if they don't have a thousand tight ends on roster at all points in time. They seem pretty good like they may add a defensive lineman because why not they may add a safety because they only have one they could survive with that one Kane Williams out of John Eric in Louisiana they might try to get another and Sage Ryan another Louisiana prospect or Terry and Arnold a guy out of Tallahassee who's committing relatively soon I think um, so they could add more but with McKinstry if if this were it for Bama's recruiting class, it'd be completely fine. It'd probably still be number one based on what everyone else does to fill their classes towards the end. I'm not sure that anyone else could leapfrog Alabama at number one now that they have McKinstry on board. Yeah, and and I think that you hit the nail on the head. You know, when you talk about what Alabama lost uh, last year, there's Trevon Diggs, Shaheem Carter, Jared Maiden, Xavier McKinney. You talk about them potentially losing. They're probably going to lose uh, Patrick Sertan following this year. Uh, and, and really, he might end up being the only loss they have. But And that's fantastic as far as you know returning experience for next year. But there's you, know, you, you want to continue to replenish that talent. And what I felt like Alabama lost last year, while they had a very talented uh, group of, of freshmen coming in as far as their secondary is concerned that was more of, of a safety focus now granted Malachi Moore was a safety coming out he's playing star which is kind of a corner safety hybrid um, but Brian Branch you know uh, they just they put a huge emphasis 
a safety position, and that's who they were able to get at least. And now it's time for them to replenish some of that depth at corner. And I've had a huge concern for Alabama, uh, you know, not just from the depth standpoint this year. And it's not that they don't have, you know, highly regarded guys coming out of high school at the position. It's just, you know, Jalen Armour Davis, Marcus Banks, um, you know, Brandon Turnage. There's just a lot of unknowns there. And so you would like to continue to add competition specifically at corner. And Kyrie Jackson is a guy, you know, he could end up playing safety, but I could also see him being a very physical corner in Alabama's defense. He's going to be a chess piece that is going to be very valuable for Pete Golding and and Nick Saban um, for, for 2021. And, and, and that was already a huge get Devontae Smith was going to add some, some depth there. Um, and you know, who knows, you always see these guys who are kind of maybe not as rated as highly, but there's a reason that Alabama wants to go out and get them this early. You, you'll have them taking guys late. open where they kind of, but when they go in after these kind of lower rated three stars or, you know, borderline force, there's typically a reason they see something in those guys they like. And, and so, you know, Devonte Smith will have a chance, but McKinstry, He's a guy just, I mean, a fantastic player. You know, he's, he's kind of undersized. He's just a tick under six foot, which isn't bad, but 172 pounds. He needs to add some weight, but very, very good, effective player. Um, you know, as far as, you know, he's, he's an athlete at the position. He's got long arms. He can do a lot of the things that Alabama re- requires of their, um, you know, of their cornerbacks. He's got great instincts and his ball skills are absolutely top-notch. And that's something, you know, as far as game-changing plays from your secondary, that's kind of what you want, and that's what you're looking for. And so, you know, just a fantastic get for Alabama, um, you know, to be able to secure him. And I think that that secondary, you know, when you at where they're kind of at as far as their defensive backs, like I said, last year was a huge emphasis on the safeties. They got Kane Williams coming in. You always want to bring in at least one top-notch guy. Tyrion Arnold is the guy that you brought up. They're also going after him. But at corner, that was the place you needed to load up as far as the, the secondary is concerned. And McKinstry, Devontae Smith, and Kyrie Jackson, I think they did a very good job with that haul. And it's also like you said, when you look at the class breakdown, offensive line was something that really needed to be focused on and replenished because you're probably losing – uh, Alex Leather, or you are losing Alex Leatherwood. You are losing um, Deontay Brown. You're losing Landon Dickerson. You're losing a ton of guys, essentially, is what I'm getting at. And so you needed to replenish some depth there, add some guys who can maybe come in and and maybe even start from day one. They were able to do that. You're talking about receiver. They've loaded up at that spot. You're talking about the turnover they've had last year and this year. I just feel like they're doing a great job of filling the needs that they uh, wanted to with this class. And and now at this point with the way things are set up, anything else is just the icing on the cake. You know, it's just like awesome. You know, that's just another guy that's going to be able to come in and contribute or, or provide depth. But from what they needed to do, they've got enough at pretty much every spot. So that was fantastic to see, um, you know, people, you know, they don't have a, a running back currently committed in this class and they don't have to you know with the guys they had last year with jace mcclellan and and roy dell williams and kyle edwards there was just no reason to, to put a huge emphasis on getting a running back in this class if you end up getting one great but it's not a huge priority for alabama they filled the spots they needed to and so that that was good to see so i completely agree with you great get from him a great secondary and you know maybe be a great gift too. 
I guess now we uh, I guess now we wait to see how many Mississippi State players enter the transfer portal in between now and the time we record the podcast tomorrow to review the Mississippi State game. Is, is that uh, is something going on or I don't I don't understand the. Oh yeah, um, two Mississippi State players entered the transfer portal today. Um, a reserve quarterback and a backup offensive lineman, and there was a report out there that Kylan Hill the star running back, the all-SEC running back, was going to leave the team and start preparing for the NFL draft. He had a tweet that was that basically said, I left the team. Man, that's news to me. But then he deleted it because it wouldn't be 2020 if we didn't have good things taken away from us. Um, but State has had several uh, dudes hit the transfer portal. And, and Mike Leach said a few weeks ago, we're trying to figure out who is bought in being here and, and who's not who's all in and who's not so i think he's i think the transfer portal is giving him his answer because they had garrett schrader into the transfer portal about a week ago to yeah. the, the quarterback that they tried to turn into a wide receiver but then he hits the transfer portal to try to play quarterback somewhere so uh we'll, we'll see uh how many more bulldogs enter the transfer portal in this 24 hour window ish between recording podcasts and then we'll see how many uh enter in between that and the and the game against bama yeah um that yeah i didn't know that there was new guys entering uh so and that's it i kind of expected to see that more than we have you know with with the the risk with COVID 19 with all the stuff that's going on i kind of expected teams that fell out of contention and really just their their season was over quickly you know really what's the point you know, and you you want to say that you hope the guys are just like committed to it and want to play football. I just thought that, that we'd have more guys who were just like, what am I doing here? You know, we're we're one in five or we're we're two and four, and and we're going nowhere and it's miserable and we're getting our brains beat out and it's just not happening like I wanted it to. And so I'm going to sit out the rest of this year or you know transfer or go ahead and you know tra- start preparing for the draft or whatever it was. I just thought we would, that we would see more of that. And so Mississippi State being one of those teams where it looks like it's that's you know, starting to happen. It's not all that surprising, but it is something to monitor as far as a depth standpoint. Um, and cause they're already in, in rough shape. And so spots, the defense has been better than I thought it was going to be, you know, speaking candidly, the offense has been absolutely atrocious. And so we'll kind of just have to see, you know, where things go from there, but Brett, appreciate you hopping on here with me. Um, this is going to do it for this episode of the Bama beat podcast. We'll be back probably tomorrow. I think we're trying to, to plan, um, you know, to, to do a preview podcast tomorrow, looking forward to Mississippi state. So look, uh, be on the lookout for that. And, you know, we'll talk to you then. So this has been another episode of the Bamba beat podcast brought to you by Wickles pickles. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of, uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.